don't want to alarm you, but U.S. companies have been hit by a colossal cyber attack. Wow, that's uh, that's unsurprising. I know. I this is that is the full title of this article on BBC News. The great thing is, it's evergreen. Just leave this article up. Yeah. You know, don't even bother publishing new ones about the new cyber attacks. Yeah, just pin it's, this to the front page of Hacker News. Yes. And then just have it be like an ongoing set of updates, you know, when people are doing like live updates of the Oscars or whatever. Just be like, you know, oh yeah, this is part of the ongoing, you know, last five years of continuous cyber attacks against U.S. businesses. And we'll just like keep you posted on the latest ones. It's freaking Revil again. <laughs> <laughs> Back at it with the uh, with the ransomware. Classic Revil. Also unfortunate, this and but what works with the Evergreen article is this article seems to give very few details mm-hmm. no sign of which companies that's true very weird that's something concerning something Casilla. it looks like is the only of is the only one of the 200 businesses that are named Casilla, the florida-based it company um uh, i see it's a it's a corporate it company or enterprise it and so they were hacked which means that all of their clients were indirectly hacked Mm-hmm. It's spreading through the corporate networks that use its software. So yeah, we wow. don't know what the businesses are. We just know that Kaseya is the company that was uh, originally uh, hacked. Maybe the world should work on this issue. I mean, I guess they are. Yeah, I'm sure it'll work itself out. Yeah, it'll work itself out. Um, there's some updates to Copilot, or some, some continuing news stories since we talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. There was... The an article showing or a Twitter thread showing that Copilot can reproduce the classic game Quake from like original source code. It will like spit out exact components of the Quake source code, which I guess I did not know this, but includes like a lot of like comments that include like people swearing in it and it like funny, frustrated hacker style comments. And Copilot will just spit all these comments out if you start writing in the Quake source code. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I feel about all this. Uh, the the Quake stuff, apparently one of the functions that it was reproducing verbatim is like one of the most famous functions uh, in the Quake code base. Like for whatever reason, it's like a quick square root function. Uh, or like fast inverse square root, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that I guess is like was just like a big deal, and it's just like been uh, studied. It's one of these like master classes of uh, you know s- systems programming in the early days of game development, put together by John Carmack. Um, and so you know, if if it's something that's that like specific, it's it's you know this is practically like you know it's like a famous. A famous implementation of a function where you almost want it to reproduce that exact same code and like you know 150 million people have already copied and pasted this exact thing into their c code whenever they need a fast inverse square root um so it's it's a tricky thing uh i thought an article that kind of broke down the debate pretty well, I wouldn't say broke down the debate. It provided the kind of uh, defense of GitHub Copilot. Uh, it's an article by Julia Rita uh, that's just called "GitHub Copilot is not infringing your copyright." 
uh, it kind of right. broke down the two, you know, kind of major things that people are, are worried about, which is that, you know, one, GitHub Copilot is hurting copyleft, or at least like, you know, kind of uh, if, you know, copyleft should be more strongly enforced so that more code is open sourced and, and copyleft kind of does what it's supposed to do, which is kind of be this like viral force uh, towards more open code, open source code uh, that is, you know, not proprietary. Uh, but her kind of argument here I thought was interesting, which is that, you know, copyleft is still like a license, a license. And so if you insist on these broad interpretations of copyleft licenses, you kind of like end up with this unintended consequence uh, where you've set a precedent now where, you know, you're broadly interpreting all licenses, including copyright licenses, which then kind of will have a outsized, more negative impact on uh, the open source software world in general. So she's basically arguing, it's kind of interesting take, which is that she's arguing for a weaker interpretation uh, and weaker enforcement of copyleft so that you've set a precedent of weaker enforcement of all licensing, mm. um, which I thought was an interesting point. Um, but I think what was even more interesting is, you know, the kind of real question at hand here, which is that is this kind of data mining uh, or like any sort of AI trained on, you know, content with a given license, is does that constitute copyright infringement? Uh, and, you know, you need to kind of reproduce work. It has to be, uh, the term is uh, substantially similar, something like that. Uh, substantially the same, basically, uh, for, you know, uh, something to qualify as copyright infringement. And because GitHub Copilot is just reproducing, like, small little chunks uh, and even then, only rarely, uh, it doesn't really quite reach the level of, of copyright infringement is her argument. Uh, and her kind of like, you know, if you take this to the logical endpoint here, the concern would be that if you say that the output of an AI can be, you know, uh, subject to the, you know, to licensing terms, as opposed to being like, just considered public domain or something, then a music label could hypothetically train an AI on its music catalog or on all the music in the world and have it basically like, you know, generate every conceivable tune ima uh, imaginable and then just like, you know, put it out there on like a super album and put it into YouTube content ID and just say like, oh yeah, we've like generated all these tunes using our like exhaustive, you know, depth first search of all songs or whatever, you know, using whatever, you know, whatever neural, uh, you know, vector representation of songs you have coming out of your AI system. Uh, and I thought that is an interesting, an interesting counter argument that, uh, of something that, it, that is, could conceivably be done. Um, and so she's kind of arguing that all of the outputs of systems like this, of these, of these AI systems should be, uh, you know, public domain, uh, right out of the gate. Interesting. So I guess this is way out of my, uh, depth of understanding but like why it doesn't just have to be an ai system that could pull that just like flood the zone copyright every possible song why can't like a reg a, a normal person just like quote unquote create like where's the line between creating and creating with an ai why can't you just like also upload every possible song to the youtube id system yeah that's a good question maybe just the we're not there yet with neural networks and like or you know 
it's going to take a while for the music labels to they're they're probably not going to be like leading the charge on on that kind of development since it's just like a hard problem uh but yeah i think i think it is conceivable in the next couple years if it becomes easier that they start trying to do that uh maybe not you know exhaustive uh, the exhaustive thing is hard because you know it's literal literally uncountably many possible songs so i guess you like maybe maybe this is a maybe it is a silly argument just because it would be just you know an impossibly huge number of songs like quadrillions and quadrillions and you know right yeah. it it wouldn't actually work to just iterate through this um yeah you know maybe 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 this is dumb all right you've convinced me <laughs> well i don't know this is here's here's the sentence that seems the most concerning in this article which i do think is a great article but i was this seems like i, I assume this is true but i i don't know but and then if it is it seems like we're going to run into issues with this more and more in the future uh the article says copyright law has only ever applied to intellectual creations where there is no uh sorry copyright law has only applied to intellectual creations where there is no creator, there is no work. This means that machine-generated code like that of GitHub Copilot is not a work under copyright law at all. So it is not a derivative work either. Mm. What? Really? I mean, there is a creator of the system that created it. There's And there's, you know, it's only supposed to be like an intelligence augmentation tool too, where you are right. kind of a, an actual programmer's like, wrangling github copilot to do you know get it to do what they want and so like you can say that the kind of entire code generation system here is like the kind of hybrid of the programmer using github copilot and github copilot so you definitely can't say that i don't know any code base that employs a programmer that uses github copilot can't possibly produce derivative works it it's pretty iffy yeah yeah, and what is uh, what did it say? There, that means machine-generated code like that of GitHub Copilot is not a work under copyright law at all. So, can I just like rip off a copyrighted logo and say, "Well, I didn't create it. Photoshop created it." She definitely should have qualified these claims a lot more. Like the you know right here, the output of a machine simply does not qualify for copyright protection. It is in the public domain. You know very very dangerous to uh just state that outright i mean it makes it sound like you can't have any proprietary code if you're using github copilot like under her if she had her way you know right uh or like you can only produce public domain goods or public domain code uh if you're using any sort of like intelligence augmentation smart autocomplete tool or something whereas you know of course most people are going to be using github copilot to create uh proprietary code and it would be well, it would not be used at all if it was a requirement that all code produced with it is literally public domain, unlicensed. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I don't really know about this stuff very much at all, but that those those sections seem iffy. Very iffy. Hacker News, yeah, plenty of comments uh, on this, as you'd expect. Yeah. Something like 500 comments. Uh, so lots more of that debate to dig into. Something a little lighter, there's a uh, website that I have not seen called musicforprogramming.net, which uh, made the front page. It's pretty cool. It's pretty self-explanatory. There are like 
62 different tracks on this uh, monospace typed website that looks like a terminal mm-hmm. and it's just uh, music without lyrics that is supposed to be good for concentration this looks great these things like that this kind of reminds me of the lo-fi cafe yes uh, very from a few similar. weeks ago yes yep i these are these are great uh great concepts i'll have to do this as soon as i finish going through all of the uh big booty mixes <laughs> <laughs> which is a little uh slightly different speed i would expect from uh, it is, from what yeah. these are going to be yeah the uh it might be a little harder to focus when they're constantly switching songs every 10 seconds and only hitting <laughs> the highlights <laughs> i think it's perfect it's a continuous stream of dopamine makes it easier to work i'm sure there's no uh long-term that's, harm that's a solid <laughs> argument <laughs> man yeah this is a great design here i believe it's got that same kind of bluish gray color that vs code uses uh maybe not maybe it's a little more blue uh anyway it looks great and it's expl- its little explainer section is a defined as a function in the top left of the page uh, a series of mixes intended for listening while task uh, to uh, aid concentration and increase productivity. So, pretty good. Something else was this article, No More Movies. I hated this. This was dumb. I This is on jriverlong.github.io, and this guy is just, uh, well, basically he just decided to put together, you know, five of the least hot takes of all time about media most of which are wrong and the rest of which are stupid (laughs) this guy is like oh yeah i used to like movies you know when i was a kid i would watch movies and i would be filled with wonder and go play you know lego you know play with my legos reimagining scenes from the movies now i've seen 819 movies and i've been you know writing short reviews for all the movies i watch and now i feel exhausted and i don't enjoy them anymore and I just scroll through Amazon Prime Video like a zombie, and it's always disappointing. Oh my goodness, this is so ridiculous! Like, as if. Wait, so was he? Did he say he was writing reviews? Yes, he says in early 2010 I started writing short reviews for every movie I saw. He's seen 819 movies, uh, so yeah, roughly one every five days. But he, so he basically comes in with this like, oh, I don't enjoy movies as much as I used to. You know, now I'm like fully aware of all of the, all of the tropes and everything, and it's just impossible for me to enjoy them on their own terms without just kind of like, I don't know, nitpicking them in my head, or even if I'm not nitpicking them, I just don't get as much enjoyment. I, okay. This is so silly to me. I like, I feel like this guy doesn't know how to be a film fan. Like, it's like saying, oh man, like I just can't enjoy sports anymore, anymore because I've seen so many, you know, football games that nothing surprises me anymore. Most football games are the same as any other football game. You just like, you know, you got to like get into the background. You got to like be fans of like actors and directors, you know, and just like follow the kind of behind the scenes stuff. And that's why it's fun, you know, all the numbers and like the kind of like meta narratives and stuff about like how things are getting made like there's so much it's so easy to be a fan of movies and i think the way to do it is to have it be more like being a fan of sports it's just like fun to be like aware of a lot of random dumb trivia uh in the same way that it is and like form opinions on things in the same way that it is with sports teams you know people like oh yeah i wonder if like this you know 
trade is going to be good or bad and like oh man that that defense is going to be really good against this offense i, I don't know i don't know how do sports work how do sports work <laughs> basically uh, like that great okay uh anyway then he decided to try to rationalize his uh lack of excitement about recent movies with you know a bunch of like ice cold takes like yeah I said. this is where things seem to get dangerous for him <laughs> <laughs> tv and film have switched spots now it's only Marvel movies in, in, in the theaters, and all the ambitious stuff is miniseries on streaming. I mean, you know, sure, that's basically, that's basically true. Uh, but it, it is pretty reductive about, you know, the state of movies in general. Like, you know, Cannes is happening right now. Go to the Cannes Film Festival and then come back and tell me that, you know, there's no interesting movies being made. Um, though, admittedly, they usually don't get any sort of... Uh, it's it's hard for like a movie to become a blockbuster that isn't already a part of some IP franchise, um, more so than ever before. And then a bunch of other things, self censorship. He's talking about how you couldn't make super bad or Borat today because they're too offensive. I don't I, mean, I don't know if that's is, true. Yeah, I was gonna say I recently watched Borat. I can't remember why. Borat oh, because I watched one. the new Borat. Yeah. Right. So, so I also watched the old Borat. Okay. New Borat just has offensive, just offensive differently. Yeah, so. I think that's true. People were trying to compare on <laughs> in the comments, like, because New Borat is kind of like, hmm, it's more about like Trump America kind yeah. of stuff and the interests of female characters, stuff like that. But yeah. I do think it is of a feather. Like, it, it's certainly not like, you know, oh, yeah, old Borat was super offensive and New Borat is like super woke. Uh, right. Not even close. No. And yeah, and then of course he decides to finish off with the not at all controversial claim of passive media consumption of all forms is fundamentally bad. So, you know, I don't know. I don't have time to get into it. <laughs> Maybe I'll write a follow-up article uh, to this. Yes, more movies. More movies, please. <laughs> Interesting that this got big on HN, though. Uh, since it is just kind of, I don't know. I kind of, I like uh, the idea of essays like this. Of... <laughs> people just like i don't know writing i, I could see myself writing an, an article like this just the opposite uh yeah. even though it's not something that i would you know traditionally expect to blog about since most of my blogs are more develop developer oriented right. but it's interesting that stuff like this can actually get big on acronyms yeah okay this is a, this is a pretty funny sentence in this article since 2012 this is in the section of self-censorship somehow since 2012, the only successful comedies have been anim animations aimed at young children. And then there's a footnote number one. You click on the footnote number one. Some people might consider Deadpool of 2018 a comedy, but I wouldn't. <sighs> Much so, more of a traditional superhero movie with some comedic elements. Good. Yes. So I'm glad he went through the list of all comedies from the past <laughs> nine years and was like, yep, all for kids except Deadpool, which isn't a comedy. <laughs> pretty funny pretty unbelievable 